0: Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support. The fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly master classes with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com/slash tennis IQ slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today Josh and I are going to be discussing a paper uh, entitled Lifestyle Challenges and Mental Health of Professional Tennis Players, an Exploratory Case Study. Uh, the authors of the paper are Saul Schramm, Jennifer Cumming, and Sarah Jane Fenton. Um, and you know, both Josh and I found this to be a very interesting article about the challenges of becoming and, and sustaining a professional career in tennis. I don't know how you feel, Josh, but I've often thought that tennis is probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult sports to go pro in. And I think some of that is is covered here in this paper. Uh, so essentially, this is, um, you know, it mentions it's an exploratory case study. So the, what the authors did is they used uh, Behind the Racket, which is, um, you may even know more about this than I do, Josh, but I think Noah Rubin started this um, as a means of allowing players to essentially post you know, what, what they're feeling uh, as their life is on the tour. And so the authors examined a number of posts uh, from Behind the Racket and looked at them for different themes of challenges of being uh, a professional tennis player. And in order to classify those posts and, and the thoughts of the players uh, in, in a thematic way, they used Maslow's uh, essentially uh, needs theory, uh, Abraham Maslow, um, to examine what they were seeing, to see the, the different challenges that players were, were um, experiencing on the tour so for those of you not necessarily familiar with uh maslow sometimes it's referred to as hierarchy of needs but um it's really just sort of a a needs theory um josh i think you can explain that for us yeah so um
1: i think it's it's often um when people refer to it or or maybe see it visualized it's often shown as a pyramid um but that was never actually how abraham maslow um and conceptualized it but it, it's it's often shown in that way which which I think is a you know sort of makes it a, maybe a little bit simpler to to understand so um it starts with physiological needs which might include you know things like food and shelter and water clothing sleep things like that um then there's you know safety and security as sort of the next the next level um you know things like, You know employment health um you know uh family stability thing things like that um then there's you know love and belonging which is sort of that that next level which um, which includes both things like intimacy friendship family connection and then moving on to that next step that next level is self-esteem um which might include things like achievement Confidence, um, you know, uh, feeling respected by others. Um, And then that sort of last level is self-actualization, which is, you know, the sort of achieving one's potential, um, you know, being able to um, get to the point of sort of feeling like you've, you know, you've, you've, uh, yeah, you've actualized, you've, you've done what you're capable of essentially. Um, and you know, that, that could include meeting, making a difference or, you know, doing what is maybe, you know, things that are a little bit deeper, um, and more core to, to really who you are. Um, so that's sort of at a, at a surface level, a little bit of a, a little bit of a background just in terms of what some of these different needs are. Um, and I found it, I found it very interesting that this study sort of used that as a, as a framework to, um, to measure, you know, how these different players were um, sort of reporting some of their different stresses and challenges on tour, both, you know, current players, former players. Um, And yeah, I I found it to be a very, very interesting study. And I thought this was a a great way of of sort of breaking it down, I would say.
0: I agree. I thought, interesting and because we don't often see maybe so much people talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs or needs in in sport psychology but i think they also did it very successfully here attaching it to those needs uh interestingly enough they didn't use self actualization as one of the ones that they examined here so they really just looked at esteem uh love and belongingness safety needs and and psycho uh, physiological needs um you know, maybe for the population that they were surveying, self-actualization wasn't quite yet a possibility because they hadn't necessarily established uh, all these other needs. Uh, so, well, wasn't the – when they talked a little bit about mental illness, wasn't that – Could did, be. That, although, yeah, that, that might even sp- span a bunch of them. But I just uh, – I remember at the beginning, they didn't really talk about so much self-actualization. But it could be there. I mean, I think if we're thinking about playing professional tennis, that's one of the goals, hopefully. Yep. Right. Um, But maybe the players at the level they were um, surveying, you know, maybe they weren't able to quite get to that place uh, per se. Um, So, how about we talk about some of the challenges that were um, discovered? in the in the study and just go through those um you know a little bit to see what uh what players experience you know and and we have to be honest that these are not players who are necessarily at the top of the game or those it's a different lifestyle and i think very often as fans or maybe as young players coming up we see those top players and think this is such a glamorous lifestyle they get to go to all these great places and travel and they're playing tennis and they're famous and, and all of that. And um, that's really the vast minority of, of people on the tour. Uh, and there's such a larger percentage of players who, in essence, are, are struggling, struggling to make it. And, and some of the challenges that they are, are facing are, are tough. So just to list off the challenges, and then we can go through each one, Um, physical and mental fatigue, the financial imbalance of the professional tennis system, uh, social and psychological impact of living a nomadic lifestyle, the weight of expectations, and then um, the structural instability of uh, finances and, and schedule for the tour. Um, and then sort of a theme that runs through all five of these is, you know, mental health in general and how these things impact that. So let's talk first about the, uh, the physical and mental fatigue, Josh. Um, yeah, I'd love to get your impressions of, you know, what you read here on this particular challenge and, and, and your thoughts on it. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, um, there i think there there's certainly plenty of both and i think this you know as it relates to physical fatigue i think this also fits into the um sort of structural instability that that you had mentioned where um you know there the tennis calendar is unique in how long it is um there really is you know at the the highest level you know the highest atp and wta level where the players are in that the, the year-end championships; they're the top top eight players of the of the year. They only have roughly a month or so to to recover. And if you know, if players aren't at that level, maybe it's a month and a half, maybe two months at really at the most here. Um, so there, I think the the physical f- fatigue is is very notable. Um, and you know, you see, I mean, just about every player you know suffers injuries at at some point or another, has to take time off. Um, But it's also the the mental fatigue, the mental fatigue of the ups and downs, of the stress that they're dealing with, of winning and losing, of maybe the, you know, of just traveling sort of throughout the year, of, you know, having to, especially players that, you know, that, that aren't, let's say, top 100 players, you know, having to figure out some of their own accommodations, you know. Their own accommodations their own flights their you know some of these sorts of things so i think the the fatigue and just the the toll that 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 takes both mentally and physically is 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 really notable and lot, a lot of the players in the behind the racket series on on instagram talked about this um so i, I think that's a, a really important starting point
0: absolutely yeah i mean you mentioned the travel time zone changes the schedule i think yeah it's 11 months, but if you wanted to, you could play 12 months. The the ITF calendar, yeah, exhibitions, but the ITF calendar, I don't think stops. I think that just continues. Um, So if Uh you're playing 25Ks or 15Ks, you know, which are a a lot of what players are doing um, below sort of that top 100, top 200, a lot of players are, are dipping their toes there. So you you could keep playing, and it's uh, um, it, it is difficult. There's a lot of a lot of challenge uh, to that to the, to the physical and mental fatigue for players. Um, the next one was you know financial imbalance of the system. So again, at the top, you know we see players earning all kinds of money, lots of, you know big checks for winning grand slams and so forth. But once you get below um, to some of the lower level tournaments, and certainly in the the ITF. It's, it's not nearly as lucrative, and so there is a lot of you know, financial stress that goes on for these players. I remember reading a study some years ago, Josh, that um, only about something between 100 and maybe 106 players on each tour actually make money. And of course, the you know the amount of money somebody who's at 106 say is making is not very much, so everybody else is kind of in a in a deficit, and so that you know can lead to doubt. Can I continue to play? Is it worthwhile to continue to play? Uh, you know, before we even began, you talked about how maybe other people are backing you you know all right so is, is your family you know also putting a lot into this and is that sustainable um and so just the the difference in money between the top and other levels of the tour is so great that um very often you know i've, I've said this to players you're 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 playing to eat in a way um if anybody's seen the eric buderak TEDx talk. He mentions how he would regularly eat plain pasta with ketchup, as because that's all he could afford. Um, and so it's, uh, I think it's useful to know that that's uh, it isn't all glamorous out there when it comes to the finances. Definitely, definitely, and and yeah, as you said,
1: so it's sort of a, you know, disproportionate separation of really where the where the finances are on tour, where, you know, if you look at the, you know, I I think people think about the Federer's, Nadal's, Djokovic's, Serena's, you know, Naomi Osaka's, people like that who are making tens of millions of dollars a year between their earnings from match wins, but also from endorsements. And they have, you know, all of them, all of them and other, you know, top 10, top 20, players, maybe, you know, beyond as well, um, you know, have do not have the the financial um sort of insecurity. But as you said, that it really is right around that that hundred, um, you know, top hundred point that that I have also heard as a cutoff where, you know, if somebody's top hundred, you can make you can make it straight into um to the main draw of the Grand Slam tournaments, right? So that's a big difference in terms of the check that you receive um by making it in you know directly into a grand slam um, and then you can also make it into you know uh other atp tournaments uh, other atp wta tournaments throughout the year you know challenger level tournaments um you know the main draw and you know the, the, there's a lot more stability at that point where if somebody is 150 200 300 500 in the world they you know the even if they win their futures tournament or challenger tournament it Does it pay your bills? Yes. But are you able to sustain that long-term? Not necessarily, right? So I think a lot of players at that level who are, you know, players who've obviously devoted their life to this, had the dream of getting to the highest levels of the sport, you know, are living with sort of a, you know, this, this, this insecurity that, you know, this could all go away at any moment. Right, whether that means an injury whether that means a slump um you know w- whether they don't qualify for the next tournament they lose in the first or second round of qualifying and then they've spent their own you know oftentimes their own money or maybe money from a you know a, the the their country's Federation or a sponsor um, in terms of their hotel in terms of their flight their travel expenses their coach right that's that's another factor that you know we, we see, top five players, top 20 players with, you know, entourages. Oftentimes they have their partner, they have their coach, they have maybe a sports psychology professional. They have a number of these different people on the team, whereas somebody who's 200 in the world, they, they you know, they, they may have a coach with them, but it's not, they, they just simply can't afford to have people around them and, and really build that team around them in the same kind of a way. So I, I think the, the financial concerns are, are really important and, and you know things are being done. I, I know um the ITF has, has made changes in recent years to try to address some of this because a lot of players have spoken out. There's um there's been a recent attempts at a at a union, um PTPA, if if I'm sure some people are familiar that uh Novak Djokovic, among among many others players in the ATP and WTA tours have have been involved with to have, you know, a union for uh, for different types of situations, for situations like this, for other um, concerns between players and the tours, just to sort of help mediate that and uh, give players sort of more of a say in terms of in terms of that. Um, so, yeah, but I, I think the the financial piece is is certainly a an important stressor and something that a lot of players spoke openly about.
0: Yeah, and. You mentioned something there about, you know, affording coaches and et cetera. That kind of transitions to the next challenge, which is more on the the love and belonging need side, but that's uh, the nomadic lifestyle, you know, and the social and psychological impact of that, you know, going from hotel to hotel, um, you know, you play, you go back to your room and you don't have a lot of contact all the time and, and not everyone can as you said, Josh, afford to have an entourage similar to how Rafael Nadal has it. You know, he's got a big group of people that he travels with and certainly uh, that, that can be difficult to afford that. And, you know, the fact is that humans are are social creatures and being, you know, kind of living that nomadic lifestyle, being alone a lot of the time can be detrimental to how you feel, detrimental to your to your mental health. And it can be difficult to maintain those relationships because a lot of your friends, they're maybe back home. Your parents and family, maybe they're back home. Um, certainly easier today than maybe in the past with uh, WhatsApp, Zoom, Skype, whatever. Um, but, you know, I've worked with a couple players who are kind of on this arc. And, you know, sometimes they just get stuck in their hotel room. And it can be really, really difficult to, to feel that and um yeah so i think that that it, that's that's a challenge in itself totally totally and and i think yeah you know
1: for for that player who's trying to make it who's trying to get to the higher levels of the of the game there i think you know i think it fits into that last piece that sort of financial instability piece where they're thinking about you know if they leave their hotel room and they go to a restaurant or they they go and do different activities in some of these, you know, in some of these cities that they're traveling to that they're digging into their savings or they're digging into, you know, the the money that they need to sort of sustain themselves on tour. Um, and you know, that, that, that often leads to, to tough decisions being made, you know, do I leave the hotel room or not, you know, do I hire a coach or not? Is that coach full-time? Are they part-time? Are they sort of shared between a few different players? Um, am I able to you know have resources on the mental side of the game um you know do I can I have somebody help me on the strength and conditioning side or the um you know injury recovery side of things so i think it you know i, I think this fits in th- this this certainly relates to that last category um where sort of the you know they're they're living nomadically they're traveling you know, their, maybe their partner is back home, maybe they're oftentimes their, their family is back home. And yeah, I think it can be really, really lonely out there. Um, and, you know, again, somebody like an Adal or a, a soccer or Serena is able to travel the world with, you know, with their families and their entourage. And, you know, it's not, obviously not a concern for them. And and I think they're able to, to mediate some of these concerns, but, um, you know, I think for the the vast, vast, vast majority of players, um, they they are dealing with this. And I, I think also what's important to to underline, and I don't think we've mentioned it yet, because I think we've we've talked a lot about players that are maybe at the cusp of that top hundred or below that top hundred point and are trying to make it. Is that I think a lot of these same challenges are faced by by top 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 players. And, you know, behind the racket, they, it was really a, a wide mix of people that were included in this. Um, people that have been, you know, top 10, top 50, people within the top 100, people outside the top 100, retired players, really a big mix. But we've we've seen this at the highest levels of the sport as well. You know, I think Naomi Osaka being a, probably the most notable example of someone who spoke very openly about mental health challenges and sort of the the challenges of of tour and did you know dealing with media and things like that and had to take some time away from the sport Uh, but other players as well have spoken you know whether it's during their careers after their careers have spoken very openly about some of the stressors Um, you know we can talk more about maybe mental health or mental illness towards the end I mean I we, we we did an episode on Marty Fish and and so you know certain challenges that he faced he's somebody who made it all the way to the top 10 um and pretty much had to retire um, because of certain things that he was going through um so i think it's you know it's important to underline that this though we are maybe focusing more on players that that aren't let's say top 10 players that this that these sorts of concerns can can really be faced by by anybody
0: it's true. Yeah, I mean if we look at the five things, certainly some of them do apply to some of the top players. Um, but as you said, you know, I think we're we're focusing on maybe the the majority of people trying to get there and um to also try to help people understand the reality of what it means to to go pro. It's it, you know, there are going to be some some serious challenges and I think we're doing this episode to try to give people some awareness of what this is like and what you can expect on this path a bit. Um, and you know one of uh, you know of those things is you know, the, the weight of expectation, the expectations that um, you may have for yourself. Um, maybe there's a fear of, of failing at this. Um, you know you probably again back to the financial piece people who are backing you well they you know they, Kind of need you to win, maybe. If it's sponsors or family, they, there's, you know, even as a player, you probably internalize that pressure. And I've noted this even just with, with junior players, Josh, that many of them are very aware of how much money their parents are spending. Their parents may not be aware that, they're, that the kid knows, but the players know. And for some, that is a source of stress when they go out to play that, Hey, my parents are spending so much money on lessons and so forth. I've got to win. I got to play well. And, and time,
1: it, and time and, and energy. Yeah. Right?
0: right. Driving and all that. And, Absolutely. um, and so imagine what that would be like at the pro level where, you know, you're actually trying to earn money. So I think these expectations of, of, of how a player feels this really more drives towards your esteem needs as well Is Am I achieving as much as I, as I want to or as I thought I would? Um, that's another good point in the Eric Buderec TEDx talk where he his method uh, of, quote unquote, making it was different than some of the other players that he encountered. Many of them had this expectation thing where Eric's approach was more day to day. And let's, let's try to just be a little bit better today Um, so that might be something we talk about in a mitigation strategy but um, you know certainly we feel this expectation we've talked a lot about expectations and how they are uh, difficult Um, in in some ways they're the kind of the root of uh, all suffering from expectations but um, this is certainly a challenge because of the nature of the tour absolutely and i think one one other piece about the financial side
1: before i say something about expectations is um i think for athletes of different sports of of maybe every sport there's there's also maybe a certain thought in the back of their mind as it relates to sort of their finances that you know this can go away at any moment they can be top 10 in the world top 100 in the world they can be you know making making a good living even a an a great or you know fantastic excellent living but things can change there's you know players get injured suspended you know it, we see it in you know prof- you know mlb nfl nba where you know players who are making millions of dollars a year um You know, maybe they have a shorter career sometimes, and then after their careers, you know, we we see players go into bankruptcy. Players have financial issues when you know after making you know millions and millions of dollars. And sometimes, you know, the reasons for that can be discussed. And you know, I don't you know whether that's spending habits, whether that's just maybe not being prepared for that sort of windfall of of money, whether that's you know some of the people around them that maybe have expectations um in terms of support but i think yeah i I think for for players at at all level those those sorts of um yeah financial um financial concerns can can absolutely exist and and also that thought at the back of their mind that, that they could lose it and i think going to the next point in terms of expectations um i think this can be really significant whether it's expectations that they've had on themselves. You know, I think a lot of players have this dream ever since they were young that they want to be, you know, a professional player, they want to be the best player in the world or a top 10 player or whatever it may be. And, you know, as they're working towards that goal, if they're not quite where they want to be, that can weigh on, that can weigh on somebody that can absolutely weigh on somebody. Um, Especially if maybe they're coming back from an injury or their rankings not you know at the level that they had hoped. You know, I think it the the weight of expectations of themselves can be heavy, but also of the people around them. You know, we talked about you know whether it's sponsors, whether it's national federations. You know, the the people around them as well often have expectations. Whether it's friends and family members as well, they can have certain expectations or you know maybe ask questions you know about them. So I think it it can happen from a, a number of different sources. Um, but I think that those expectations can, can absolutely have a, have a heavy weight. And I think we see this um, with players of all levels, right? Um, I, I think even things like, you know, you go into a, tournament and maybe you play somebody that you've beaten before. And it's like, okay, I should win. I'm supposed to win this match. And, and even those expectations, you know, at that more of a micro level can really weigh on somebody. But, but also the sort of long-term expectations of what they think they should accomplish or what they should be ranked. And maybe people around them are telling them you should be top 10 or you have the ability and potential to be a top five player or whatever it is. Um, or you should be ranked higher. you should you should be further along by now. Um, so I think a lot of this is often said and it, I think it's often, you know, not said with bad intent, with bad intent. <clears throat> However, I think the impact of it can can often be really detrimental.
0: Yeah, that's true. And um, I think it that is one that certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, for it does drive sort of the esteem needs and and may even block one's ability to self-actualize if you feel like you're not achieving your expectations there. And, um, you know, I think this kind of feeds into the next challenge, which is sort of the structure of the tour, you know, financially is one, one way, but also ranking wise, you know, financially, it's not salaried, like a lot of professional sports, You you know, we live in the United States, you know, an NFL team. American football, 53-man roster. Now, of course, they can be cut and so forth, but they generally have contracts. That's two teams makes 106 guys. Right. Right. That's that's the number of people in the world maybe making money on, on one of the tours. Um, and that's two teams out of, what, 30, I think, in the NFL, around that number. Um, so just in, in American football, you have a number of people getting salaried, to play football and, and, they, it,
1: and they don't have the same sorts of they don't have to pay for their flights and hotels right and that there's
0: sort a of, lot of stuff they, that's covered granted they have very short careers you know the right. average american football career is probably about three to four years at most um but then there are other uh, professional sports obviously that have more contract based right so you don't have that in tennis um tennis is also driven by the calendar and ranking points So you do well at a tournament one year, and now that tournament comes around next year. All right, you've got some points to defend. How are you feeling? Well, if you're injured, all right, do you skip this tournament and lose all those points? Do you play through the injury? Do you need the money? There's a lot of things around how the the tour is structured that can cause players to not always make decisions in their own best interest. And, And that's just the nature of what it's like um yeah additionally you know a lot of players we're talking about and even uh even people in the top of the game there's a lot of losing that goes on in tennis and that can have an effect on how you feel about yourself about your your self-esteem um so you know perhaps the tour from a structural perspective is not as glamorous as it looks like when we watch you know tennis channel or eurosport or espn
1: Totally, totally. No, I think that's, that's absolutely, um, that's absolutely true. And I think you, you bring up a, an interesting point that the, that the study also meant talked about in terms of that, that 12 month calendar where, you know, if a player, let's say has a breakthrough tournament and they, they win the tournament or they get to the finals for the first time um, and their, their ranking goes up that that's great. That's you know, that's a, that's a cause for celebration, obviously, but 12 months from now, those points expire. And then you know who knows what's happening you know hopefully that player has continued winning and the, the ranking has gone up where that you know that those points aren't as large of a portion of a player's total points um because if, if it is you know if 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 that tournament makes up you know a really large portion of their of their total points then they're you know they're likely to drop quite a bit in ranking So that leads to some, as you talked about, that leads to some difficult decisions. And I think that also fits into expectations, right? You have certain expectations on your back. And those aren't just some of the ones that we talked about earlier from yourself or from the people around you. Those are, you know, expectations in terms of, okay, if I can't have put together a, a, you know, another really impressive result here. My rankings going to go down, and that what does that mean in terms of my sponsors? What does that mean in terms of my livelihood, my ability to keep doing this and keep chasing that dream and keep playing on the tour? Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's, I, I think that that's absolutely um, a concern, and I think also injuries, right? Every, you know, especially with the grueling calendar, every player has injuries that they go through, and that can often lead to to drops in rankings can lead to players, you know, having to decide whether they're going to push through an injury or take time off, both of which have their drawbacks, certainly. Um, And, you know, and I think there's other sort of instability, Um, you know, I I think there's the, the financial imbalance, which I would say is sort of a a form of, of that. But I think there's, you know, just, I I think that sort of um, the, the tour in general, the, the, the way that, that things are set up is, is not necessarily set up for the player's interests always. I mean, I think they're they're taken into consideration, but you know, there's a lot of different stakeholders here. So um, you know, I, I think unfortunately a lot of players suffer the de- the detriment of this and, you know, are are forced to um sort of, you know, go through this process of of playing on this tour, chasing that dream, chasing, you know, the ability to to break even or to make a living um well you know well sort of suffering in some of these different ways um you know mentally physically um and and dealing with some of these challenges and i i think you know sometimes there's almost the response like oh like you know that's um you know th- these people are living the dream you know i think i think a lot of people think you know th- these people are living the dream they're they're living these glamorous lives and and that's obviously true at the top at the top tier of the game But I think for the vast majority of professional players, that's really not the case. They are trying to make it and and often struggling to do so.
0: Yeah. And they're playing in, you know, remote parts of the world very often. Um, And so I think it's been a good discussion, Josh, of these five things um, as challenges for for professional players. Um, And... You know, with these things, if, if, if a player is uh, struggling with one or more, then it's natural that they would also struggle to kind of self-actualize to achieve that place where they feel like they're becoming their best self. Um, you know, and that sort of addresses the mental health, mental illness piece, which you, you already kind of covered, you know, noting some top players suffering from this and, and of course, some of the people in the Behind the Racket uh, series. Um, so the paper also had some strategies to help mitigating some of this. I think really sort of the overall one that I, I like, Josh, is um or maybe this I think this is kind of in the paper as well, but it's like making sure that people really understand what the reality of this professional tour is. As you said, it appears to be glamorous. Um, but I think the more prepared young players are for this, and specifically each challenge, then they can come up with some strategies to help deal with it. Um, you know because I think in working with a couple of players again on this sort of this path, I don't think they completely realized exactly how it would go um, before you know embarking on the journey. Now of course no you know understanding this is the way it is and then actually living it are two different things but at least if you understand that these are some challenges then we can put in some perhaps structural changes for the player to help you know mitigate some of these challenges.
1: Definitely definitely and I think I think it's important that that these things are discussed and I, I I'm not sure I know the the perfect age to discuss it you know if there's a uh, up-and-coming junior player and maybe they're, you know, top 100, top 150 in the country or one of the best players in their region and they have, you know, big dreams and they want to be a professional player or they they think it's possible, I think it is important to discuss these things. And maybe it's, you know, 12, 13, somewhere around there where, you know, they're starting to really, you know, think about what that – what you know, being a professional player could actually look like it. Maybe they have these dreams. Um, I think just being able to discuss with them, you know, what some of these realities, what does life on tour actually look like for the vast majority of players? You know, what percentage of people actually quote unquote make it? And again, maybe making it can be um, seen differently by different people, but what percent of players actually get to, you know that top hundred point where they're 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 making a living. Um, you know, I think just being able to talk through some of these things, and also, you know, if a player does have that goal or says they have that goal, really trying to understand why. Where does that come from? Is that because somebody that they train with or a coach said that they could do that, or is that because this is something that they really want to do? And if it's something that they that they really want to do or they say they really want to do, have they? have they done some of the work in terms of really figuring out why, why is this important? Right. If, if we, you know, I think we've talked a lot of this episode about some of the challenges, you know, some of the less glamorous sides of pursuing this, but again, it's, it's something that a lot of people want to do. And I don't think any part of what any part of this episode is trying to discourage people from doing that. But I think it's, it's important that people really have that, clear and firm understanding of why they're doing it in the first place. Why is this something important to them? Why, you know, why, why is this meaningful? Why is this um yeah, why is this a journey that they've decided that they want to pursue? And I think the more clear that they can be on that, you know, the the more that they're they will be, you know, resilient enough to to handle some of these stressors and some of these I would say inevitable challenges along the way because I think they're all you know these things are all things that 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 people face on their journey towards the top of the game or on their attempt to to get to the top levels of the game and they're they're inevitable they're kind of you know unavoidable I would say so it's just you know I, I think just going in with realistic expectations on that is is really important.
0: Yeah, I'm really just going in with your eyes wide open that this is, this is what it's going to be like, right? Um, you know, in terms of, I think, mitigation strategies, we can talk about a few that were in the paper um, and then maybe some of our own here. Um, but the study noted trying to have more of a mastery orientation with what you're doing as opposed to just focusing on achievement and wins. Um, and I think that's especially important with the amount of losing that goes on at certain levels of the tour. So can you just try to keep improving your game? And as we've said, you know, the more you work on that aspect of things, the results tend to come. But there's a lag. So we want to make sure that we're, we're getting really good at all those little things that, that matter. Um, learning to regulate your emotions. Well, that's certainly anything that's good for mental health. In general um, and with all the challenges that you'll face you want to make sure you can do that Um, the next one I really like and this is something I've discussed with some players is really make an explicit effort to create a social support system around you whether that's making sure you're calling your friends your family um, you know whatever it is that you can do uh, your coaches etc can you be have a real strategy and structure to how you create social support so you don't feel so alone and um, you're not just spending time in your hotel room uh between matches and then um the last one suggested in the paper at least the of i could recall josh was um more addressing the finance piece and the, the stability of that is are there alternative ways of making money um whether that's through social media or other you know other types of things that one could do so that um yeah you have other streams of income while you're also playing and that's probably more possible today than say it was 20 years ago um but i think those were some interesting uh mitigation strategies and i want to get your thoughts on those
1: i think those all make a lot of sense i think things like you know uh, finding other sources of making money i think makes makes quite a bit of sense um whether that's you know different sorts of sponsors or you know i I think people have done things like gofundmes or things like that um i i've heard situations of players who are you know maybe playing at the challenger or futures level who will you know maybe it's during the off season or you know they'll, they'll make it an off season and they'll they'll do a little bit of coaching they'll do a little bit of coaching for maybe two three four weeks and make some funds that can sort of sustain them for you know, a few months or however long it, it may be. Um, and yeah, I, I think just you know, being able to be creative, being able to be resilient. Um, and I think it's a lot easier to do that if you if you know what to expect. But I think, yeah, I think the mastery, um, having more of a mastery orientation makes a lot of sense. you know, trying to keep the focus on the process, trying to, which which is tough. I know we talk about it a lot. I feel like it, it gets thrown around a lot, but it, it's a challenge, right? When you have to win to eat, and when you have to, you know, win and maintain your ranking to to keep getting sponsors, and you know, w- when the results feel really important, I think it's it's easy to prioritize that and, and solely focus on that and forget about. It. Aspects of the process, but I think trying to to keep the focus there on the process, on doing the on doing things right, on really trying to you know not just control the controllables, but master the controllable elements of the sport. Whether that's you know w- w- whether that's many many different things: their preparation, their self talk, their their physical training, their mental training, their you know their strategy. You know all these different pieces can players really try to master. Their, their selves, but master some of these different controllable pieces and really focus on that process. And as you said, Brian, there's there often is a lag. There often is, you know, if, if somebody's working at doing these things, it doesn't necessarily mean that the ranking is going to increase at that same rate, or even it's not even a guarantee that the ranking will increase at all. But the more that we are doing the right things and, um, you know, making the types of decisions to help us become better and better players it It tends to lead to the sorts of results that that players want. And you know, oftentimes there's a lag. oftentimes it's not as quick as somebody would hope, but it does tend to happen. I think also having you know, having some trust in that process, having some trust and faith that you know, by doing the right things that it it will work out eventually. And that doesn't mean it will work out right now or as soon as we'd like, but it it does tend to to work out. So I think having some. Trust and faith in that process. Also having good people around you, I think is really important. Whether those people are physically around you or whether they're, you know, maybe in the other side of the world, but you're able to connect through, you know, phone or video chat or whatever it is. But having those people around you that can support you, that can cheer you up after a bad loss or an injury, um, you know, that can give you guidance. Maybe it's other players that have been there before, um, you know, former pros or higher ranked players that can give guidance as well and maybe share some of their experiences. But um, no, I think there's, you know, I, I think that that social support piece and that team around a player, whether physically or virtually, is is really key.
0: So the last piece I would mention, Josh, here um, that isn't part of the article, but I think would also make good sense for a mitigation strategy is to go back to a de- definition of what it means to be competitive that we have spoken about in the past, which is, Um, you know, enjoyment, learning, and desire to win. Um, And looking at making sure we're maintaining, you know, uh, healthy perspective on what's going on through that lens and and really making sure that we're enjoying what we're doing, enjoying the challenge of learning that mastery piece. Um, Again, that's hard. It's hard to do in this environment. Um, But players noted a loss of enjoyment and a loss of motivation. And if we're not enjoying it, then, then why are we doing it? So I think the more that we we look at enjoyment, learning, and still maintaining a, a strong motivation and desire to win, really important to see how we're doing on that scale, you know, and really checking in with players on where they are with those elements, um, and and by monitoring that more, maybe we can make earlier adjustments in terms of what they're experiencing uh, so that it doesn't go too far down a path where uh, you know, we're not feeling so great about ourselves and our own mental health. Um, so I think that that would also be a good way of, of helping players through some of this, and especially even before they get to the level where they've jumped to playing ITFs and, and challenger events and so forth.
1: I, I, I would agree. I would agree. And there's and there's certain resources that um are you know are now around, you know, things like ATP University, WTA player development program, but they also talk about in the um in the article that these are limited. These are limited to players of certain rankings, so it's it's certainly not um, you know, accessible to everybody. So um Yeah, I I think, you know, there's definitely more resources that could be put in place, whether this is by, you know, ATP and WTA or ITF, but also by by national federations. Right. I think national federations can uh, probably do a little bit more to to help really prepare players for what this is actually like and being realistic and providing them with resources um, and maybe having players who have been through it who can can also be there and provide guidance. I think all of that is is, you know, are, are are really helpful things that can that can help players who are who are going through this journey.
0: So, as in other episodes where we discuss papers if you're interested in getting a copy of this, please send us an email at tennisIQpodcast at gmail.com. We're happy to to provide it and um, that's a good discussion. I think this is something that we could both use with, uh, you know, the tennis playing clients that we have, uh, because it, you know, just looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs or just needs theory is is very interesting lens to look at how we work, work with players. Right. So that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening for more on today's episode. Please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you are enjoying the content that Josh and I discuss on the show, please rate and review the podcast so other tennis enthusiasts can find it more easily. Additionally, to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, and you can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Tennis IQ podcast membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.